0: Hello, everyone. This is Paul Rodden, and I want to welcome you back to the Hydrogen Podcast. Today's interview is going to be unique. The company we're going to discuss is Infinity Fuel Cell and Hydrogen, which has many years of combined military and space fuel cell experience designing the next generation of air independent fuel cells and regenerative fuel cells. With the support of NASA and several other government agencies, they have achieved key breakthroughs in fuel cell design that have significantly reduced the complexity of these systems and dramatically improved performance and reliability. I think Infinity is an absolutely fascinating company, and there's so much to unpack here that I might have to beg Bill to come back and talk more (laughs) on the show. So let's cue up the theme song and dive right into the interview. So the big questions in the energy industry today are, How is hydrogen the primary driving force behind the evolution of energy? Where is capital being deployed for hydrogen projects globally? And where are the best investment opportunities for early adopters who recognize the importance of hydrogen? I will address the critical issues and give you the information you need to deploy capital. Those are the questions that will unlock the potential of hydrogen, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Paul Rodden, and welcome to the Hydrogen Podcast. Okay, welcome back. Today I'm joined by Bill Smith. Bill's the founder and president of Infinity Fuel Cell and Hydrogen. He started the company in 2002, focusing on the application of PEM technology to fuel cell and hydrogen systems. He is the program manager and principal investigator for the most major Infinity programs, including programs with the FAA and the NASA Glenn Research Center, DOD fuel cell projects for the Naval Air Warfare Center in China Lake, the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, the Defense Logistics Agency, and for the General Atomics LDUUV program (laughs) with the Office of Naval Research. And that just scratches the surface of what they're doing right now. Bill holds a degree in physics and got his MBA at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. Welcome, Bill. Thank you so much. It's great to have you here on the podcast. Thank you. Great to be on the podcast. So, Tell us a little bit about your background, what led you to start Infinity, and what your company specializes in.
1: Well, I first got involved in fuel cells and hydrogen way back in 1986, and I was working for a unit of United Technologies called a Hamilton Standard Space and Sea Systems Division. Most people probably haven't heard of that, but at Hamilton, we were the prime contractor for many NASA programs, including the spacesuit, the extravehicular mobility unit, and We were involved in fuel cells and and hydrogen by virtue of acquiring a business unit from General Electric in 1984 that originated and invented proton exchange membrane technology. And we were at Hamilton primarily interested in hydrogen generation and oxygen generation with a focus on the oxygen for use aboard nuclear submarines because we also made systems for undersea. At Hamilton, that evolved into the the electrolyzer that is now flown on ISS, on the International Space Station, to provide life support oxygen. So wow. there's a natural path there. And we also inherited the technology that had been used to power the uh, the Gemini spacecraft. That was a proton exchange membrane fuel cell that powered that spacecraft. And we worked on evolving that for future applications. By 1996 several of us were interested in commercial applications of fuel cells and electrolyzers, and uh, we realized that that wouldn't really fit in the United Technologies Military and Space Division, and uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to break off and found uh, a new company, Proton Energy Systems, and we Started that in 1996 and took it public on the Nasdaq in the year 2000 with a focus on making commercial electrolyzers, commercial hydrogen generators, and on developing PEM fuel cells. In uh, we took it public in on the Nasdaq in 2000, and by 2002 there was a focus at at Proton on. Uh, industrial applications. And I really was attracted to aerospace and space and other applications like that. So I, I left and started Infinity Fuel Cell and Hydrogen with really a focus on aerospace and defense applications. And now we're getting back to the, that back, kind of back to the future, uh, renewing the interest in commercial hydrogen generation as well. So I've been around it for a while and it's amazing to see the interest once once again so strong.
0: It really it really is. So I, I know that with the type of work that you do and the sensitive nature of some of the projects, you can't really discuss anything in detail. But mm-hmm. would you mind giving us kind of an, an overview of the work that you've done with NASA and how they sure. utilize that fuel cell hydrogen technology? Sure. We
1: started working with NASA in around 2004. At that time, uh, NASA was thinking of uh, retiring the space shuttle, and the space shuttle used an alkaline fuel cell technology that was actually made by another unit of United Technologies, wow. uh, UTC Power. But UTC Power wasn't developing PEM fuel cells. they were. It was an alkaline system, and they wanted to stay with that. And NASA was interested in developing PEM fuel cells, and they were looking to the next generation spacecraft beyond the orbiter. So we were fortunate enough to be funded through a series of SBIR programs uh, all the way through phase one, phase two, and phase three. And then in 2008, while NASA was developing a uh, a new lander that was going to be aimed at powering the landing on the moon under a constellation program, as it was called at the time, NASA Increase the investment in our technology so that we could provide, potentially provide, the fuel cell power system for the Altair lunar lander as part of the Constellation program, and that, fortunately, again, that funded us through uh, several le- levels of development of the internal bipolar plate, which is the the core technology, and even after Constellation program was canceled, they continued to fund us. And what they were inter- really interested in was the way that we could manage water, and zero gravity. What we do, which is different than other fuel cells that are used in space, is that we provide an internal water, water oxygen phase separator in each and every bipolar plate. And what that means is that we can eliminate many an- external ancillary systems. For example, on the shuttle orbiter fuel cell, there were rotary phase separators that would separate the product water and the reactant in the fuel cell operation, which is a parasitic load and a reliability hit so that we're able to put static phase separators with no moving parts that separate the water and gas uh, as the water is produced in each cathode. And we do that via means of a pressure differential across a material that is pretty interesting. It allows water to transport through, but will resist gas intruding on it. Wow. And now we've incorporated that into fuel cells for potential space applications and underwater applications and others as well.
0: The whole thing just floors (laughs) me. I talked to so many people throughout the industry talking about fuel cells and the applications and everyone always talks about cars or trains or ships. I don't think anyone realizes how the the longevity behind fuel cells have been (laughs) that they were used in space and I think it's it's incredible, and I'm just floored by it. And I I love the fact that you're able to bring that technology into this next kind of hydrogen movement mm-hmm. that we're seeing today. And I just I kind of get a little giddy thinking about all the the cool applications that you've touched on historically. I think it's amazing. Oh,
1: oh yeah, and it, I, we were fortunate here at, because we we have a team that included uh, some of the the individuals the engineers that worked on the original Gemini program that worked on the original Apollo program in fact our safety and reliability engineer that we still work with worked on the Apollo program oh, so amazing. we have a, a wealth of experience on on these different mission applications
0: that's incredible I, okay if you don't mind I'd like to pivot away to an, uh, another industry for a moment sure i think it's really important to discuss your work in regards to the defense department In the Mm -hmm. research that you've done, you guys have made some incredible strides with your fuel cell technology to help develop unmanned aerial drones and undersea unmanned drones. I'll try to leave this question a little more open-ended so you can choose how you want to respond to the subject uh, nature. If you would mind providing an overview of the work with the Defense Department and your fuel cells and how they play a role in advancing technological innovation in that field. Are there any projects that you can highlight on that?
1: Sure, I think I can talk about the underwater work. The um, kind of a a common theme is that both, of course, space and underwater, you don't have air available. So, immediately, hydrogen air fuel cells are pretty challenged when there's no air. So, our systems are air-dependent fuel cells. Designed to operate in any orientation. In zero gravity, that it means you you know you have no orientation. Underwater, it means that you don't have to worry about the inclination or the tilt of the, the vehicle that you're in. So that it was a natural to look to apply these for underwater vehicles, including unmanned underwater vehicles. And through a series of programs, we were funded by the Office of Naval Research. In 2012, initially, we were teamed with General Atomics, who's better known because they manufacture the the drones like the Predator drones, uh, but they've also been working undersea as well. And we have been pursuing that series of programs since 2012 with General Atomics and directly sometimes with the Navy. And that continues to be a, a A very good application for the technology because of some of the same interests that nasa has they want to make the systems simpler more reliable and able to operate at peak efficiency and all of that plays well for underwater applications
0: i think you and i had kind of talked before about drone applications for it and even you know open air drones using fuel cells instead of batteries Mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's, I guess that would really play to your strong suit too, right? I mean, the as you mentioned before, the more of the 3D aspect underwater can still apply to drone technology too.
1: It can, it can. And we've been developing our own hydrogen air fuel cell that can be used for these drone applications. Not, uh, I have to admit, it is not as uh, advanced as our air independent systems, mm-hmm. uh, but that's an area that we're going to continue to develop. And there's I think the reason for that really is, is that these new generation unmanned aerial vehicles have a lot of benefit if they're electrically powered, because yeah. then it could be vertical takeoff and landing and so on, by controlling those uh, multiple road, uh, motors. And it's difficult to do that with an internal combustion engine unless you maybe hybridize and feed a battery. But inherently, storage of energy of as hydrogen is lighter than batteries if you want to store a lot of energy if you're not storing a lot of energy batteries will be a better way to do it but if you want to use more power or fly longer fly farther then fuel cells and hydrogen provide a distinct benefit and we intend intend to work in that area as well what we bring to that i think that is is a bit unique is that we are now as 9100 certified for Quality. Uh, we understand the aircraft environment. We came out of United Technologies unit that also had aircraft products. UTC's Hamilton Standard division still makes any uh, very very many numerous products for the aircraft industry, including the electronic fuel controls that are on the engines that control the Pratt and Whitney engines on the planes that you fly. So we came out of a ba- industry background where we understood how to work with the aircraft industry, and we still do. In fact, I was invited to be on what was called, I think it was Aviation Rulemaking Committee. The FAA was looking into using fuel cells aboard Part 25 transport aircraft and formed a committee back in 2017 to advise the FAA on uh, direction of rules to use on applying fuel cells for those aircraft. And so we've been involved in the in the FAA in that manner, and also we've been funded by the FAA to advance some of our fuel cell work for our hydrogen air products.
0: Oh, that's great. I can't wait to hear more about that in the future as, as mm-hmm. that product line gets built out. I can't wait to hear more about it. I'm excited for that one. I, I think it's interesting to note the commercial applications for this technology as well. Medical delivery, remote areas, pipeline yep. inspection, bridge evaluation, great. surveillance, any drone requiring camera gear, particularly sensitive to vibrations. Exactly. Your technology can address a number of these situations, which dramatically improves the performance, yes?
1: Yes, absolutely. Again, compared to an uh, internal combustion engine, you immediately solve the vibration problem with uh, using a fuel cell to generate the power. And as I was mentioning before, by being able to uh, fly longer or fly with increased power compared to batteries for a given application, you know, you have those those benefits as well.
0: Oh, man. I, I... I'm still just kind of blown away by your technology (laughs) and the applications that you've historically had. I think it's amazing. Do you mind if we take a little bit of time to highlight Infinity's the the X-Store regenerative fuel cell system? Sure. I find the concept of the mobile regenerative fuel cell system extremely interesting. uh, And I was hoping you could go into some of the detail about it and talk about how it's being used in real world applications.
1: Well, it, uh, well, first of all, I'll talk about the, the, the kind of the series of programs that we've had with the Naval Air Warfare Center. This was out of China Lake, California, which is about 40 miles west of Death Valley. So it's a, a, a pretty unforgiving area. And, yeah. But there was a lot of interest in the 2000s, especially the late 2000s, in p- providing power and energy and fuel to deployed uh, remote expeditionary forces. You know, when we said we're working with the Navy, the branch of the Navy that was Benefit most in this case was the Marines, so yeah, bear that in mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the interest there was to develop a mobile microgrid that could be deployed uh, with the with those forces and provide them with the means to generate their own power and minimize fuel logistics to the field, and also the the operators of the um, of China Lake have a flying range of about the size of the state of Rhode Island, and they have data acquisition systems and other systems that need to be powered over the large geographic area. And some of it is done with photovoltaics and batteries, and they were looking to extend the performance of those systems as well. So they funded us in a series of three programs that culminated in the combination system, a two-trailer system, one that is a five-kilowatt deployable photovoltaic array that folds up onto a trailer that can be towed by a Humvee and then will hydraulically unfold and deploy, self-level and open up like a flower. And the second system was a a hydrogen air regenerative fuel cell system. And there we developed our own proprietary high-pressure hydrogen generator that would fill the hydrogen tanks that were located on the roof of that trailer. Um, And we integrated, in this case, it was earlier in our development, we integrated a uh, a third-party hydrogen air fuel cell. But we had total system design responsibility, total system programming, and overall control responsibility. So we ended up with this, with this, uh, we call it discrete regenerative fuel cell, separate fuel cell stack, separate electrolyzer stack. But you could generate hydrogen directly at pressure without using any compressor. And it was designed to opt to produce hydrogen at 2,000 psi while inputting low pressure water at about 20 psi um and wow. it would gen- it would break the water down into hydrogen and oxygen and then fill the tanks. I uh, had built-in dryers to make sure that they you met the requirements for storing dry hydrogen and you could even tap into it to fill other vehicles or aircraft that would need hydrogen and it would grid connect or it could island all by itself. It it was field tested at China Lake but did not go into production. It is available to go into production because we withdrew from Iraq and which yep. was the major force driving the uh, the requirements. And that's a good thing. It's but we'll, yeah. we'll get
0: back to that product. <laughs> I mean there's there's got to be plenty of commercial there's, opportunities for that too.
1: Yeah, it's an ideal system if you have say a natural disaster and you immediately need to provide power, you know, that's a, a good way to do it.
0: Yeah, with everything even, that's happened in Kentucky right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you could you could roll those in there because of the the way it could uniquely operate with it by tied into a grid or not into a grid or just on its own photovoltaics and store a lot of energy, it it's uh, I think ideal for an emergency situation.
0: Yeah, really. And it is.
1: Another another feature of that, not to not to belabor it, but it could also accept power from diesel gen sets because the military oh, wow. would have many of these gen sets yeah. that have to run all the time, but they they run inefficiently. So you could pick right. up some of basically the the leftover load capability that they had and put it into the the regenerative fuel cell and it would you know make and store hydrogen otherwise it would just go completely go to waste.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> and just how much you've thought about all of this it's it still floors me. I love this. I really do love yeah. this company. And I think you you've touched on this next question a little bit but Yeah. can we talk a little bit more about the your hydrogen generating capabilities? When you right. initially told me about the proton exchange membrane technology Mm-hmm. And how it produces hydrogen at high pressure without using the compressor. Right. i was I was floored. <laughs> the concept it's it really does. it's fascinating to me. Can you walk us through how it works a little bit more and highlight some of the benefits in the technology for our listeners?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, in many cases, people are they want the hydrogen. They may be much less interested in the oxygen. And if you generate both gases at pressure, Um, managing high-pressure oxygen can become pretty complex and expensive because of the safety considerations of high-pressure oxygen. Uh, However, if you can generate hydrogen at pressure and maintain the oxygen at low pressure, it can make your system simpler and safer. And the way that this works is that we operate a conventional, in this case, liquid anode feed electrolyzer, where we feed water into the anode or the oxygen chamber of the, the electrolyzer and we you know, have the electrolysis reaction proceed there. And in that, we break the, the water down into protons, electrons, and uh, gaseous oxygen. And the protons, of course, are pumped through the proton exchange membrane, that's why it's called a proton exchange membrane, right. to the hydrogen side where they combine with the electrons that are pushed through by the external power supply and generate the hydrogen gas. And the the trick, to achieving high pressure is you design your cell structures to be able to withstand the pressures. The, the mem- and we use thicker membranes as well. But the membrane, properly supported, can you know withstand uh, thousands of psi of differential pressure between the hydrogen and the oxygen. So, with properly designed cell structures that can, can take the mechanical forces of the high pressure and a properly designed membrane support structure, you can generate high pressure and that membrane will retain its integrity. Now, a trick in doing that is you need that support structure of the membrane to be of the nature that will allow water to go into the reaction at the same time gas is coming out of the reaction. If you don't get that right, then you can starve your cell of water. And then all you do on the other side where the hydrogen is being generated, you close the valve and you let the pressure build up. And it will naturally build up uh, very efficiently. You only have to overcome the Nernst potential, which is about 30 millivolts per decade of increase in pressure, or 30 millivolts of, per cell to go up 10 times in pressure. So to go from 15 PSI, about atmospheric pressure, to 150, you know, that's 30 millivolts. To go from 150 to 1500, another 30 millivolts. Hmm. So it's a very efficient way to do it. And of course, it does it without any noise, without any vibration. Yeah. You just simply get your high-pressure gas. And if you've ever been around compressors, that oh yeah, that's a benefit in itself.
0: Right. Because they're loud and it scares my kids every time I turn mine on. <laughs> I'm really amazed by the background that you have and the in-depth knowledge that you have to really speak to the science behind hydrogen. And Thanks, I mean, the fact I, that you're dealing bit, at subatomic but... levels, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's really great. Moving forward with infinity. Yeah. What are your future plans for the company in terms of aerospace and defense industry? And also I'm extremely curious to know about your goals on commercializing all your technology. Sure. The, sure. the the way we look at it is we we
1: have a two-track approach to the overall business in our mind. You know, we've been doing aerospace and defense for a long, long time, and there's applications that are are just coming to fruition right now. For instance, the space applications. It's amazing. There's look People are looking at using fuel cells to power various different vehicles from actually launch systems to landing systems as well. You know, NASA is looking at fuel cells, again, for use in landers. NASA is looking at fuel cells for use in regenerative fuel cells to power systems on the surface of the moon through the two-week-long lunar night. And we have an active program with NASA in that regard right now. So, you know, we want to become a mature aerospace provider to be able to meet our customers' needs you know now and to you know well into the future uh, because these programs will last for a long, long time. What we're a part of right now will probably still be going strong in hundreds of years from now as we continue to explore the solar system and beyond. So that's that's what we call track one. you know that's that's our base and we want to we really want to mature and achieve production status in that and you know meet those mission requirements now that historically however what that has meant is that that's allowed us to produce and mature different inventions and improvements in the technology that can benefit terrestrial systems so in addition to providing uh, profitable programs that have kept the lights on. It's provided uh, product improvements. And what we're doing on the track, two is feeding these product improvements, like high pressure hydrogen generation, into commercial products. As part of the, the China Lake Regenerative Fuel Cell Program, we developed a modular architecture that we think will serve even very large systems well in the future. And we intend to bring that modular architecture to, you know, help produce systems that can be scaled up to many megawatts or hundreds of megawatts in the future. Wow. And so we we see that it's synergistic. The track 1 aerospace products is continuing and growing and mm-hmm. spinning off uh, resources that help us develop the track 2 products for commercial hydrogen generation. And that's what we're going to be heading toward uh, as well. Eventually I can see that the two splitting into separate divisions uh, yeah. because there's very different characteristics of both markets. And we saw that actually way back at United Technologies in that same yeah. business unit. I worked in a, the Space and Sea Systems Division of Hamilton Standard, but the other part of Hamilton Standard was commercial, commercial products, commercial aircraft products. So we, uh, we see a similar future for us here.
0: No, I, I can't wait for that to really take off. I really can't. One final question. Sure. You do have a wealth of experience in the hydrogen industry. Would you give us your thoughts on the current state of the industry and where you think hydrogen is headed in the future,
1: I'll I'll try. It's uh, <laughs> it's kind of like not a loaded food. question at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, on the wall behind me, there's a picture of the. Uh, IPO that we did back in 2000, and there was a lot of excitement back then. Back then, everybody's going to be driving a, a fuel cell powered car by you know the year 2001, 2002, and hydrogen is going to be the you know the fuel of the future. And it ended up being the future, but not but a longer term future. So we saw that that boom back then, and then you know a lot of things happened with the everything from the election of um, in between Bush and Gore and 2008 economy problems, you name it. A lot of things happened in between. So hydrogen, after that boom in 2000, went kind of quiet. However, uh, many companies like ours, Plug Power, Hydrogenics, and uh, fuel cell energy and others continued to develop their products. So what what is different right now is that you have companies that started that have been around now for twenty or thirty years in some cases that have been continuing to develop their products, find applications, reduce costs, get feedback from the market, and you know create products that are meeting market needs. And you know that's that's a distinct difference from that last boom. And then in parallel, I think that the there's a a global resurgence of understanding of the issues involved with climate change and the need to decarbonize the future and you know people are look are starting to create a way to financialize that to translate the need that need for decarbonization of the planet into financial pathways that can make hydrogen competitive with other systems you know traditionally it's you know people would have the attitude that they couldn't afford to have clean renewable energy systems now we can't afford not to yeah and you know what i'm what i can see is true application for hydrogen as the energy carrier for electrical power systems electrical energy storage systems to help make mm-hmm. intermittent wind and solar power systems uh, available all the time with ways to store lots of energy cost effectively and hybridize with batteries. Batteries can still take probably best for overnight hydrogen, better for if you need large amounts of backup storage for mm-hmm. for weeks or even seasonally. But importantly too, in in a transportation and industrial processes, there's many many industrial processes where natural gas is used to generate hydrogen. For instance, in ammonia production and yeah. then in, in a heat treating and things like that. Electrolytic green hydrogen. Is a pathway to, you know, eliminate the use of carbon for those processes. I know there's a lot of talk about making hydrogen from natural gas and sequestering the the CO2, but mm-hmm. I think that's a stopgap. You can do it, but I don't know how much benefit it's going to bring you ultimately. And then, of course, with transportation, decarbonization of the transportation sector. Uh, starting with, uh, I'd say, the heavy-duty applications. I think trucks are an excellent place to start because you have yeah. a situation where the vehicle itself has the the real estate to store significant amounts of hydrogen. The refueling infrastructure is well-defined enough so that you can you're, you're focus on equipping a smaller number of highly capable stations that can refuel those heavy trucks, and it can provide a real benefit there. Cars, I think, will come along, but that's a lot tougher. You know, consumers are the toughest market, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then aircraft as well. Airbus, and I think maybe Boeing finally, but Airbus has been putting a lot of emphasis on planning for hydrogen-powered aircraft in the future. And there's, there's developments right now with companies like ZeroAvia that are mm-hmm. uh, converting aircraft to, uh, to run on uh, hydrogen power for propulsion. Yeah, uh, there, and there's many other applications aboard aircraft where hydrogen fuel cells can provide benefit as you look to perhaps decentralize the power sources on a large transport aircraft to reduce the weight of the wiring in the aircraft. Yeah. So I, I think that those types of transportation needs can be accommodated and will make an important difference in the future. The, what we're seeing right now in the markets is kind of amazing because it's happened in such a short period of time. I think that there'll be, this is probably a boom of interest. uh, And as people scramble to try to figure out, you know, where everybody's going (laughs) to fit. And then it will, you know, probably settle down a little bit, but I think it'll settle down to a higher level of application and a higher level of benefit of decarbonization than it ever was before. So I think it's a, maybe a step change going on right now. And, you know, I think it has a bright future. And I think, you know, longer term for generations to come, it is a pathway to have a carbon-free future for the entire globe. And that's pretty exciting.
0: No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, your thoughts on on utilizing water for the hydrogen generation versus car, uh, hydrocarbons, mm-hmm. I think you're more of the more uniquely suited people to talk about that versus a, a lot of people that are just jumping on renewable hydrogen. You actually have Decades of experience <laughs> dealing with that, right. so I, I really like hearing your thoughts on that side of the hydrogen industry. Is the actual, you know, making the hydrogen from water? I think it's really amazing to mm-hmm. to get your views on it. This has been a great conversation. <laughs> thank you so much. Sure. Uh, I really, uh, the the kid in me just loved hearing about the China Lake <laughs> stuff. I think that's I think that's incredible. I can't wait wait to see what what you what you're able to put out commercially. Yeah. So thank you again for taking your time today can't wait to uh, hopefully get you back for for round two
1: well well thank you very much for having me and i look forward to continuing the discussion
0: all right everyone if you enjoyed listening to bill's views on the hydrogen industry and want to check out his company infinity fuel cell and hydrogen we highly recommend visiting their website at www.infinityfuel.com to learn more thanks again take care hey this is paul i hope you like this podcast If you did and want to hear more, I'd appreciate it if you would either subscribe to this channel on YouTube or connect with your favorite platform through my website at www.thehydrogenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I very much appreciate it. Have a great day.